0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your
0: host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you had a good weekend. Thanks for kicking off your week with us. It's going to be a busy week. Later this week, I'll be in Des Moines, Iowa, at the Iowa State Fairgrounds, broadcasting from World Pork Expo. I'll be broadcasting from there Wednesday and Thursday. Looking forward to that, as uh, that'll be my first uh, large in-person event uh, since for over a year. So it's uh, it'll be it'll be strange, but it'll be good to have that back and be around uh, a group again and uh, get caught up on a lot of the issues facing the pork industry. As uh, we take another step back to getting things uh, closer to the way they were. And uh, we'll be talking more about that later on our program today. The manager of World Pork Expo, Doug Fricky, will join us to give us a, a complete update on this year's event. It's been a while. Last year it was canceled because of COVID concerns. year before that, canceled because of African swine fever concerns. So it's been a while since we've had a World Pork Expo, but looking forward to it this week. Also today, a complete look at the weather with John Baranick with DTN, and we'll talk markets with Steve Nicholson with Rabo AgriFinance. So, lots going on, and let's start it off with Spencer Chase from AgriPulse Communications. Spencer, good to talk with you. The President's off to Europe, but uh, the work stays back here to try to get something done on infrastructure. Are they getting any closer?
2: Well, it depends on your definition of closer, Mike. If you uh, if you have it in the conventional sense, uh, no, probably not really. Uh, in all reality, they, they, I suppose if you're looking for some encouraging news, they are continuing to have talks. Uh, nobody has thrown up their hands and and walked away from this discussion quite yet. But the fact of the matter is, they are they are still the Republicans and Democrats negotiating. This are still really far apart on things like. Uh, New spending, the Republicans are using uh, some repurposed uh, dollars from previous COVID-19 packages. Uh, Democrats don't see that as funding that is uh, necessarily available. They see that as money that is already committed to another cause. Uh, And so there's about a $700 million difference in terms of, uh, of new money in some of these legislative proposals. Uh, you know, take that in coupling with just the overall drastic dollar amount differences that we're seeing. Uh, we we did see the Republicans go up in their offer a little bit toward the end of last week, but again, uh, still some big differences, uh, still some big uh, big gaps they're going to need to fill. Uh, we do expect the House to uh, mark up kind of a portion of the, of that legislation uh, that they're going to they're going to be trying to move on uh, more of the conventional surface transportation uh, kind of infrastructure. But uh, still still
0: lays apart, but
2: again, the moral of the story is nobody has said no quite yet. What they're saying
0: is not yet. Okay, so we wait to see on that. Meanwhile, the Biden administration late last week announced plans to replace Trump era uh, changes to Endangered Species Act. And that is always a controversy anytime you're talking endangered species. So what's the administration, this administration planning to change from the last administration's policies on this?
2: Right, so like I mean, as you said, anytime you say the word endangered species, there's a lot of producers in the country that uh, that have their ears perked up, and, and particularly uh, some folks out in the western part of the country. And so what they're looking at, uh, particularly relates to some gray wolf protections and things like that, uh, looking to kind of uh, go through things that the previous administration did with a with a bit of a fine-tooth comb, and that's you know something that's fairly common. Uh, whenever there's that administration turnover, there's that six or seven month period where uh, basically everything that is uh, being considered is going to be really, uh, you know, really be considered by the new administration. So one of the things that they are looking to do just to kind of call it out is to uh, rescind a definition that the previous administration had put in place uh, just for the term habitat. Uh, And so there's you know, they, the new administration claiming that's something that's not really necessary given some Supreme Court precedent that's out there. And so, uh, you know, this is obviously something we're going to be keeping a close eye on just given the, the broader implications for the ESA uh, for a lot of producers, you know, whether they're looking to use uh, acres for crop ground, for uh, ranching and, and rangeland. Uh, you know, the, anytime the Endangered Species Act comes into the, comes into play, that's going to get the attention of a lot of farm groups.
0: Uh, also on the trade front, interesting—the um, the kind of the new TPP that's out there. It looks like Britain's going to join it. Uh, it remains to be seen if we ever do, but it looks like Britain's going ahead with it. Yeah, I mean,
2: granted, I, I was good, not great, at geography in high school and middle school, but I did not know that the UK was a Pacific Rim <laughs> country. That was <laughs> that was news to me. But uh, you know, that's that's really one of the things that Britain was looking to accomplish when it uh, left the European Union uh, was to see if it couldn't put itself on better trade footing uh, with a lot of these different groups. And, and granted, the, the UK already has trade relationships with you know, the, the Japan's and Vietnam's of the world, you know, some of those Pacific Rim countries. So heck, if, if you're the UK, why not try and formalize that agreement to, by actually joining the TPP? You know, that obviously those with, the, with long memories, you know, all the way back to 2016 will remember that the TPP was a fairly divisive campaign issue, you know, both both for Republicans and Democrats. Uh, you know, it's it would be a fascinating uh, parallel universe exercise to see what a President Hillary Clinton would have done about the TPP, because it wasn't horribly popular in the Democratic Party at the time either. So whether or not the U.S. Uh, you know takes a look at that kind of remains to be seen. Right now, their efforts seem to be a little bit more tied to you know maintaining good enforcement of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreements Ah, uh, trying to find some kind of uh, global partnership to address some concerns that they have with China, but uh, not hearing a ton on the, on the TPP front from the new administration at this point.
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, what what uh, qualifies as being trans-Pacific nation? Uh, well, it's kind of like in in sports, right? The, the Big Ten has more than 10 schools in it. So I guess, you know, the the names don't always uh, line up with the actual participation. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. Meanwhile, Midwest
2: conference with a New Jersey school. Yep.
0: <laughs> there you go. That, that really was a stretch. Um, tomorrow, we're going to talk with the president of the Texas Farm Bureau about uh, Farm Bureau's uh, calling on the administration, a call for action, if you will, to address the border crisis.
2: Yeah, and so that's an area where agriculture is in uh, you know, a bit of a precarious position because on one hand, uh, you know, obviously there are you know, producers down in that neck of the woods really looking for good, sound enforcement of, of you know, folks coming across the border because you know, it's one thing to uh, have you know, follow the border crisis from uh, you know, Illinois or Washington, D.C., where you and I are at, but it's another thing when the border crisis is you know, 15, 20 miles from your house and you have folks that are potentially walking through your operations. So obviously, there's that desire for good, strong border enforcement. But on the other hand, agriculture is in need of a good, stable workforce. And so it's a, it's a delicate line that uh, the farm mm-hmm. policy groups are, are walking when they start talking immigration, uh, particularly in, in regards to you know needing to get their workers through you know through the door and through the border, but also you know maybe uh, maybe trickling uh, trickling that overall flow of traffic down just a little bit.
0: Yeah. As I said, I'll be talking with uh, the president of Texas Farm Bureau tomorrow about that. But you're right that uh, it does put agriculture in uh, kind of a middle ground. there, trying to trying to find a common ground and some way to get the, this resolved. But uh, in the meantime, there are a lot of concerns there on the border. And you said when you're down there, you're living there and you got people pouring onto your land. That, that's a big concern. Well, Spencer, thanks for joining us this morning. Appreciate it. Good to talk with you.
2: Always a pleasure, Mike. Thanks.
0: Take care. Up next, complete look at the national weather forecast. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up recently on atoms on agriculture steve meyer economist for partners for production agriculture your thoughts on the impact of the recent court ruling striking down faster line speeds in packing in some packing plants uh, pork producers council coming out saying that could really hurt smaller producers what are your thoughts on the impact of that decision
2: i think it's going to hurt kind of anybody um uh, smaller producers might take the brunt of it they usually take the brunt of any kind of disruption. Um, you know, my number one is, my thought is, I'm horribly disappointed in USDA uh, that they wouldn't go and fight for something that's been proven to be okay and proven to be effective. As far as its impact, yes, uh, you know, it's going to slow these six plants down. It's going to take 2.7 to 3 percent of our slaughter capacity away, and that's not a big deal right at the moment.
0: But it is going to put us in a bind come the fourth quarter. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Time to check weather with John Baranek with DTN. John, thank you for joining us. We're to that time of year. We really watch uh, who gets rain and who doesn't. And uh, we have some areas really needing it. And it's still hard to come by in some of those areas like the Dakotas and parts of Minnesota and some other places. So uh, give us your uh, look ahead this week. Who's going to get some precipitation?
4: Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, yeah, you're, you're not kidding. The Northwestern Corn Belt is just really hurting for rain. Uh, we've seen drought increasing almost constantly here over the last couple of couple of months. Um, unfortunately for them out there, it's still going to be isolated chances for showers. They, I mean, the, the, there's incredible heat that we saw triple-digit heat uh, over the weekend in the Dakotas and into Minnesota. It uh, won't be that bad this week, it will still be in the 90s, and we might get close to triple digits on a day or two. But uh, really the rainfall is really what, what they need out there, and we're just not going to see it. Um, the, the heat can will produce isolated showers and thunderstorms at times, but it's going to be very hit and miss, and more likely miss than hit, until a system moves through Thursday into Friday out there. That's the best chance of anything organized moving through. Uh, But after that, it looks dry yet again. So, I mean, just that one shot is just not going to do it. Elsewhere, though, if you get to, say, a line from uh, St. Louis to Chicago and Detroit and places east and south of that line, uh, we're going to be looking at better chances of rainfall. There's an upper-level low-pressure system that's kind of meandering about the area this week and it's going to be bringing in lots of moisture from the Gulf of Mexico, and your daily showers for just about everybody. A lot of widespread one- to three-inch reports are going to be likely for, mm. for, for this week, um, and it'll kind of reduce the chances of, of some stressful heat that would otherwise be there. So we've got uh, a good mix of, of above-normal temperatures, and rainfall in those areas should be some pretty good, uh, pretty good conditions for growing crops
0: well we it started feeling more like summer in many places this past weekend. What about temperatures this week ahead?
4: Yeah, so like I said uh we saw a triple digit heat up in the northwest there um and we'll continue to see that but uh, in the eastern uh eastern belts uh we'll see more more eighties so above normal still I mean more, normal temperatures here are kind of in the upper 70s to low 80s from north to south across the eastern Corn Belt. Uh, we'll see those kind of in the middle to upper 80s for most of the week, um, but it won't be anything near what we what we will see um, and have seen across uh, the northwestern Corn Belt. Uh, that continues all the way through this weekend. Uh, next week, though, we'll see some uh, cooler conditions moving into the the eastern Midwest and into the east coast, and uh, bring temperatures more back down closer
0: to normal upper 70s, lower 80s for next week. I believe I even saw there was some hail damage in places in Kansas over the weekend.
4: Yeah, I mean, we've seen uh, pockets of thunderstorms moving through the, uh, the the plains rather frequently over the past couple weeks. The severe weather season has kind of been delayed by a bit. We didn't see so much in March and April, but we've seen uh, an uptick in that in May and into early June here. Um, yeah, the hail damage that, you know, has been recorded, we've seen a little bit of that in Kansas. Uh, there's been some more in uh, eastern Colorado and into western Nebraska as well. It's been kind of scattered, but uh, yeah, it's been picking up as of late.
0: You mentioned something I've been, I've been kind of thinking about. It seemed like going through spring, early spring, especially that March-April period and into May, that we didn't have the uh, severe weather that we've had some years past in that time period. Had, was it quieter than usual?
4: it was quieter than usual and we had you know we had a couple events that happened and you know typically March and April for you know the Southern Plains is their severe weather season and typically we see you know several days several you know big outbreaks that occur in there we just didn't see it we saw, we saw one or two uh, that were pretty you know decent and widespread uh, but for the most part it's been it's, it's been very delayed and again we saw we saw some uh, some of that picked up in May and into early june here but not to the extent that we would normally see with a, a, a normal season
0: we're talking with dtm meteorologist john branek john you've given us the look for this week ahead what about the rest of june what's your longer range forecast showing
4: yeah unfortunately you know we're, we're getting uh, the the dryness and the heat that we've been seeing over the northwestern corn belt uh will eventually spread into the eastern corn belt um you know, as we go through the rest of June, I think um, you know what's happening this week is going to be kind of the main driver. But once we see um, that, that system move through late this week uh, and into early next week, we're going to be on a drier pattern for the rest of June across most of the Corn Belt. Um, temperatures, again, will probably be above normal, so we'll start to induce some stress in some areas that didn't really get the rain this week. And um, unfortunately, what it looks like, at least in the long-range models and the way the DTN forecasts, is that the rest of the summer will also be on the hotter and drier side. Uh, That means, you know, we'll see some periods where uh, temperatures will be near or even below normal, and we'll still see showers and thunderstorms move through, but I think on the whole, uh, we'll be below normal in precipitation and above normal in temperatures for the rest of the summer.
0: So if you're in areas that have had precipitation, you know, then you get in these hot, dry summer months and you, it's a matter of timing. Will you get some of those showers at the right time, especially around pollination? We'll watch temperatures as well through that period. That's always the key, that timing. But for those areas that we talked about earlier that come into this already dry and in drought, it's pre- you just don't get out of a drought with an occasional shower.
4: No, you really don't. I, I, I have a hard time believing that, you know, the, the conditions that are going on here in the Dakotas and into Minnesota and even into Iowa um, is, is going to be improved even with, you know, an occasional, you know, good rainfall event moving through. Sure, it may push things off but, and the timing will be important, but it, it won't be, you know, it won't be enough to really sustain or improve crop conditions, I don't believe.
0: And we've talked a lot about the Dakotas and into Minnesota and into Michigan, but as you said, there are parts of Iowa that have really had some some challenges uh, this spring so far.
4: Yeah, once you get north of I-80, they've had a whole mix of, of terrible conditions. They've had late frosts. They've had uh, getting missed out on good rainfall events. Um, they had you know, frost actually all the way through a good portion of, of May and, and April, so uh, even with the early planting a lot of people had to replant and it hasn't been hasn't been very good for, for northern Iowa, that's for sure.
0: So we'll be watching that closely as of course will uh, the markets. Uh, John, as you look around the world, uh, I guess we start in South America and we know the struggles they've had with that Safrina corn crop, uh, what are their conditions there?
4: Oh, man, you can just chalk it up to Groundhog Day. It's just more of the same. I mean, they're getting, uh, you know, and it's, it's typical for this time of year anyway, but we get systems moving from northern Argentina into southern Brazil, and they just stall out there. So while some of the southern safrina corn areas are getting some showers, which is good for them, uh, they're not getting up into the main growing regions, Matagroso, Minas uh, Maestres. They're just not getting that far north. Uh, We'll see another system kind of try to do that late this week, uh, about Friday. But once it does, all the showers that are associated with that system just really just dry up. So all the the crop conditions have just been terrible for that portion of the country. Um, We've seen a late start for the planting, um, and then the dry season started so much earlier than is typical, probably about two or three weeks early. So uh, they're just really hurting for rain up there, and it just doesn't look like they're going to get it.
0: Well we know it's a global market and uh, markets are sensitive to these uh, weather challenges. Any other production areas around the world having uh, some weather issues? Issues
4: no actually if you look out throughout Europe, the Black Sea region um, and if you're looking at winter wheat development down in in Australia everywhere else seems to be uh, outside of you know some spots here and there mostly in good good crop conditions throughout uh, throughout the rest of the world. There's just some minor pockets here and there, but not, nothing to really drive markets at this time.
0: All right. We'll keep an eye on it. And, John, we look forward to uh, visiting with you each week and get caught up on uh, what's happened with the weather and what you see coming up. Thank you very much for being with us.
4: Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Mike.
0: Take care. John Baranek, DTN meteorologist, as he uh, takes over now for... Uh, uh, Bryce Anderson, who is kind of easing into retirement, not completely retired, but uh, the uh, weekly reports we'll be getting will be from John now moving forward. So we look forward to having him with us to talk weather. A lot of those weather concerns uh, continue, that's for sure. We'll be keeping a close eye on on uh, those weather reports and those uh, weekly Crop progress and ratings numbers that come out, and uh, we'll get more of those today. In fact, we're going to talk about that next with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst with Robo Agrofinance. as what are the markets focused on now? We wait for the June 30th acres report, obviously, but in the meantime, these weekly crop condition numbers will be very important. Where are we with the markets, and what does Steve see ahead? That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right
3: up. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit dtnpf.com today.
6: You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. The current weather forecast looks hot and dry until mid-month. Traders began trading the forecast several days ago. We are seeing higher futures in row crops, while the wheat market is looking lower. July corn on the board of trade trading a nickel higher at 6.87 and a half cent. The September contract up 12 and a fraction at 6.18 and three quarters. For soybeans, the July contract up four cents at 15.87 and three quarters. August up eight and three quarters at 15.40. And three quarters. For wheat, Chicago wheat July down four and a fraction at 683 and a fraction. Kansas City wheat July down six cents at 630 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat July down 15 cents at 797 and three quarters. The September contract down 15 and a half cents at $8 even. Feeder cattle may remain under pressure Monday with the show of higher grain prices. There is some anticipation of higher cash for the week. Packers may hold back early, waiting to see how anxious feedlots may be to move cattle during higher feed prices. However, with packing plants up and running, packers may need to be slightly more aggressive with cattle purchases this week. Traders will be cautious early until they see how cash bids will unfold. However, that is not expected. Monday, a show list will be posted with no business expected to be done. Box beef prices declined Friday with choice down $1.57 and select down $1.43. For live cattle on the Board of Trade, the June contract down 65 cents at 116.17. The August contract down 40 at 117.67. Feeder cattle, August down $1.32 at 148.60. September down $1.37 at 151.37. Lean hogs, the July contract up $2.47 at 123.07. The August contract up 227 dollars 27 at 119.85. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 54 points, the Nasdaq composite down 8, the S&P 500 down 8, the U.S. dollar index is trending lower. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall.
0: All right, let's talk markets with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Steve, good to have you with us. Uh, I guess the question I'm asking these days, are we in a weather market?
8: Good morning, Mike. I hope you're all well today. Uh, I think the quick answer is absolutely yes. Um, You know, this one started early, and I think that's the thing that was a little surprising to me is how early we got concerned about weather, Um, you know, dry. And it really... We kind of, and, I, and this is not blaming Brazil, but, you know, it started with Brazil and how dry it has been down there. And the, the market took, you know, took that to heat pretty early on. Um, while it didn't really impact the soybean crop all that much, it certainly did impact their corn crop. And that's just, you know, drug over into our markets. And you think about, you know, how hot it has been in the northern plains um, and in the western Corn Belt, how hot it's been out west. Uh, granted, of course, you know they and they're, you're starting to see stories now about water issues out west, um, particularly in the in the desert southwest and, and agriculture is going you know potential agriculture will lose water rights um, or lose water altogether out there. Um, yeah, I think this is purely a weather market, and you can almost watch that you know that daily forecast as it changes and that six to ten day forecast as it changes, whether it gets a little wetter or a little drier gets a little hotter, gets a little cooler, the market's going, boy, it, and it's off to the races. And that's kind of what we're seeing. You know, we saw last night in the market, and we're seeing a little bit of follow-through on that today, uh, maybe not quite as volatile, but we're, we're seeing extremely volatile markets. And if you don't, it's kind of like the weather. If you don't like it today, wait till tomorrow, and you'll, you'll get something like what you want.
0: But what we know about those very dry areas, they've been dry for some time, and that's not going to just change overnight. So that's going to be a, that's going to be a story and right. issue throughout this year. And if you, when you start adding up the Dakotas and parts of Minnesota, even parts of Iowa and into Michigan, yep. all of a sudden that starts, that starts adding up and, and becomes more significant than maybe we were thinking earlier on.
8: No, I think absolutely, you're absolutely right. And, and I think that's you know just to kind of add on to your question. You know, my concern going into this spring was, and we've talked about this, we came into this spring wet, and, and those areas in particular came in very, I'm sorry, dry, and those areas in particular came in very dry, and we need timely rains throughout the Corn Belt. The eastern Corn Belt may be the exception to that, but in talking to folks out there, they're like, we're okay for now, but we can't take any extended long periods, you know, long periods of heat and dryness. So we need continued timely rains, and that's, that's the thing that really concerns me is that you know we're now entering you know we're you know almost the last half of june and we know what happens in the corn belt in july and august it it gets hot and it gets dry and that's just been you know that's not a good combination from where we're starting from right now and you talk to people who haven't had significant rain so i I think this is this is an ongoing story and we're not going to be out of the woods just because maybe we get a week of wet weather across the Corn Belt—it'll certainly help. Don't get me wrong, but it's not going to be out of the, We're not going to be out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Yeah, we've made this switch from asking the question, "How much is China going to buy?" to "How much are we <laughs> going to grow?"
8: Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You get into a situation now where you know the U.S. is—I'm well, not going to say never. Um, you know, we have embargoed, and I don't—I don't take that lightly. Um, and the question is, how much supply will we have to export? Um, you know, you know, we have a significant, particularly when you look at corn and you look at wheat. Um, well, particularly corn, we have a significant amount of domestic demand that has to be filled, and exports only 10 to 15 percent of our total supply or total production. When you look at soybeans and wheat, and, and it's really any class of wheat, you see, you know, a good portion of that, you know, a good portion of that is exported. And if we don't have it, we don't have it to export and and look to Brazil is a perfect example of that. you know Brazil this year is going to be down ten to twenty million t- tons of corn production and expectations right now is they'll have ten million metric tons less of corn to export so that just that's gonna fuel both the market and it's going to fuel buyers um, indigestion and uncomfortableness for the next year and i that's and I think when you look farther out and think about beyond this year like kind of back to your question we're not out of the woods yet and we're not going to pro- unless unless this weather turns around amazingly the next few weeks You know, we're not going to be out of the woods next year either.
0: We're talking with Steve Nicholson grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo Agri-Finance meanwhile we're also looking ahead to the June 30th uh, acres yeah. report uh, which way are you leaning there? What, what are you thinking USDA is <laughs> going to say?
8: Yeah I I've been leaning to higher acres all overall. Um, you look at the prices we've had since March 1, and, and granted we have set back from the very, very highs, but the fact is we've had very good prices all the way. So I'm leaning toward more corn acres, um, more soybean acres. I do think we'll see more additional corn acres than we'll see bean acres uh, when it's all said and done. Even though the bean bean prices have been very high, but, you know, farmers like to plant corn. They get in and get corn done. I think the other issue to worry about, particularly, again, it goes back to the northern parts of, of Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, you know, had that freeze here a week, a week mm-hmm. ago or two weeks ago now. Um, and we have hear people replanting soybeans, significant amounts of soybeans. So, you know, you've got issues there as well. Um, and so, you know, the crop's just getting off to, I would say, a little bit of a rough start and it's dry, you know, it's had some bad, it's had some tough weather, it hasn't been very warm, obviously it's getting warm now, but, yeah, I think you see more acres come June. You know, that could be a temporary setback to this market, so for livestock folks, I would be paying attention to that report, maybe your opportunity to extend some coverage. Uh, for grain folks, I, you know, you're going to probably see, if we see more acres, which I think we will, see a little bit of temporary setback in the market, but the fact is, this weather situation, again, if it doesn't turn around here soon, is still going to be with us and keeping these
2: markets very well supported.
0: Yeah, that that creates an interesting scenario because ordinarily you would say yeah. more acres that would kind of be bearish, right? But if there, are, if these dry weather concerns keep growing and we get concerned about being able to produce a big enough crop. Yep. Then you need more acres to kind of help offset that uh, the dryness and maybe a loss of yield in some of those on some of the acres. So, is it as would more acres be bearish or maybe supportive at that point? Well,
8: yeah, I mean that's that's the dilemma we came into this. I mean, think about we had we had less acres than we anticipated, less acres than we need, and or less than acres than we thought we were going to get, and not as many acres we really need to keep the balance sheet going. So yeah, I mean you you get more acres. Those acres may be what would be considered not heart of the corn acres, so their yields may not be as good as as the heart of the corn belt, Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota, Nebraska, Indiana. But they're also in areas, predominantly in the west side, are a little bit drier. And you think, boy, it's just it everywhere you turn. And we haven't even talked about how tight soybeans, in particular, are, and and corn's getting tighter. You have all of these things continue to propel the market and be very very supportive so the premise to your question is absolutely right is it a bearish or bullish report it depends it partly will depend on expectations where does the trade think it's going to be but the reality is we need those acres and if we don't get the acres that the market is anticipating or the trades anticipating it could be a bullish report right off of that even though we could see an increase in acres and think about the march 31. We saw 6 million more acres in the United States, but it wasn't as much as the trade, and it was a bullish report. Mm-hmm. And you sort of scratch your head and go, we got more acres, why isn't that bearish? But, you know, it's about expectations about what the market needs to, to make the balance sheets work. So it's a very fraught time, very volatile prices for sure.
0: And usually it's, it it's would see not that you wish bad on somebody else but it can be it would be no. encouraging for u.s growers if if south america is having a tough year that's not necessarily the case this year we needed that actually needed that south america to have a, a bigger safrina crop didn't we
8: but we did because you had china this insatiable appetite and we needed that because now that means our corn exports are going to go deeper into our growing season um you know when we you know, we're running out of crop. I mean, I'll put that in quotes. We're not running out of corn, but, you know, we're our supplies are dwindling. So we really needed that. We needed that crop. When well, you also look then and you look down the road at our crop and go, boy, it's just we have lots. with issues we need to be concerned about here. So we really did need that safrina crop, and it's not going to be there like we'd like. So, All yeah, right. It's, so
0: it's,
8: yeah, it's, just get it's, ready, it yeah.
0: makes marketing even more difficult, though, doesn't
8: it? <laughs> Well, it does. And people go, what do I mean? And I was thinking that was coming on is that, you know, from a producer perspective, you like the higher prices because you want to sell at higher prices. But if you're in an area that's dry, you're like, I don't know what I'm going to have. And so we have to think about and have that discussion about what, what is the worst case scenario from a production standpoint and what, you know, how do you protect yourself so that you don't lose these opportunities in the market that are here for you today? I mean, it's, it's a very thorny marketing issue. It's a very thorny management issue to try to be smart about this. Uh, keep in mind you have crop insurance. That's what crop insurance is for here. So that's, that's your backstop. So it's, it is a very, what should we say, you, if we thought things were difficult a year ago, and they were, and I'm not going to discount that, it's just it's always, we have to say farming is, can be a challenge on, any, on, a, on a good day, and that's kind of where we are right now.
0: And we're only a week into June, so we'll see what's ahead. All right, Steve, thanks a lot. We'll have some interesting discussions ahead, I'm sure. Appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Good to talk to you as always. Robbo, you bet. Robbo, grain and oil seed analyst Steve Nicholson. All right world pork expo later this week it'll be wednesday thursday and friday at the iowa state fairgrounds in des moines i'll be there broadcasting wednesday and thursday we'll get another preview from world pork expo manager doug fricke how are the uh, final plans going all the preparations for what will hopefully be a big crowd this week we'll talk with him about that next on a-o-a Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
9: As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
7: What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death.
6: Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today.
5: upon this miraculous substance I hold, I hold in the palm of my hands. This little miracle can feed us, us. clothe give us clean, fresh water, We're and provide wildlife habitat for nature's griffiths. Ladies and gentlemen, Bridges. 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 Ladies and gentlemen I present to you the greatest gr- gr-
1: soil Learn more about soil health principles that can turn your soil into a star performer. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station.
0: Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Michael Langmire Purdue ag economist. And despite strong commodity prices, we see this significant decline in the barometer. What's behind these numbers?
2: I was a little surprised that the drop was as, bigger, as big as it was. But certainly there were several questions where we saw a drop in sediment. There's a couple things I think that were going on behind the scenes that are important to understand this drop. One of those is the last couple of months there's been a large divergence in the sediment for crop producers and livestock producers and a full third of the survey uh, is of livestock producers and particularly uh, cow-calf producers but the beef industry in general and certainly the sediment is much lower for the livestock producers compared to the crop producers and so i think that contributed to the drop in the index but even though we don't ask the question
0: directly i think there's also some um, worries at least regarding inflation for the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: World Pork Expo is back. It comes up later this week, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines. Doug Frickey, World Pork Expo Manager, joins us now. Doug, I know you're looking forward to this week. Do you have any idea how many people may be coming for this year's expo?
10: Well, it's too early to tell on uh, total numbers, but uh, our our initial pre-registration was pretty close to where we were in 2018. So that's a good indicator that uh, we'll have a strong... Strong attendance moving into the first few days, and and that's what we're hoping for.
0: Yeah, you have to go back to two thousand and eighteen, the last time World Pork Expo was held. So I would think there'd be some pent up demand and interest. What about your exhibitors? You're going to have a big exhibit area again?
10: Absolutely. Actually, I'm walking around our trade show floor right now. We're doing our exhibitor move in, and things are uh, moving along very briskly at this point. Uh, we've got a, a out trade show, which is. Uh, fabulous for uh coming off a two-year hiatus of not having the event uh we also have the hospitality tents uh as well as outdoor exhibits so we've got uh, a lot for folks to take in when they come down for the show this week
0: will there be international visitors this year as there has been in the past or with with the pandemic and everything will that uh, prevent that from happening We've we've really only seen a few come through as far as registration goes. Uh,
10: So, yeah, the the pandemic and uh, borders uh, closed and so forth has has really limited that travel to the U.S. for this event.
0: What do you have planned as far as the the things that you'll be covering? I know you have some seminars and very educational events. Uh, How have you put that program together? Well, it's it'd be similar to previous
10: years. We've got uh, 19 seminars, uh, as well as the Pork Academy, which is included in our seminar series. Those are going to be held on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, I would suggest that uh, producers interested in uh, seeing a a particular topic, go to our website and kind of plan your day out accordingly so that you can take in that particular seminar that uh, is of interest, and then also uh, kind of plan accordingly with... uh, who you want to see on the trade show floor as well and try to reach out to those folks in advance, if you can, to set up some private meetings.
0: Have you had to make any changes in plans for this year's show because of COVID? Um, primarily, we've got
10: uh, a lot of disinfecting stations. Uh, we've got some additional drape that goes up between booths uh, to kind of add a, a little more uh, barrier between booth to booth, Uh to you know, then obviously the uh, hand cleaning stations, uh, those are prevalent just about everywhere you go here. So, you know, we're, we're taking the precautions uh, uh, as in any other business where you've got, uh, you know, amped up uh, sanitation and, and cleaning things.
0: You'll probably have a lot of extra eyes on your event as one of the first ones coming back out of the pandemic, as far as large in-person ag events, uh, a lot of people will be watching to see how it goes.
10: Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of folks
0: uh, watching
10: this, this event uh, from the ag side of things. You know, the, the city of Des Moines has hosted uh, several uh, as large or even larger events uh, recently here. So, you know, the success is already kind of uh, chalked up for uh, for what's been going on. Uh, We just got off uh, Principal Charity Classic over the weekend. Uh, That's a senior tour for PGA. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's looking good in Iowa. And, you know, people are excited to get out and do things. Um, You know, obviously, they're doing things different than they used to, but uh, everybody has to be a little bit smarter.
0: The Big Grill, is it going to be going? We're going to be getting a lot of uh, great-tasting pork this week? Absolutely.
10: The Big Grill, uh, we actually moved that in uh, in preparation for the show. That's going to be on the south side of the Varied Industries building and just west of the Jacobson Exhibition Center. Uh, people might remember that up in the Triangle. Uh, we felt that this would give us a little more space to spread out and uh, give people ample ample room to sit down and enjoy their their lunch each day.
0: Any uh, live animal shows, any hog shows, will will they be going on during the Expo this year?
10: No, there are no live animals at the event this year. So we are uh, just people and uh, exhibit spaces.
0: And as you said, you really don't know for sure how many you'll get, but hopefully there'll be a big crowd and this will... You know, it comes at a critical time. There are a lot of so important issues uh, for the uh, the pork industry in particular, agriculture in general, and it'll be good to get people back face to face together to discuss them.
10: Right, right. And that's that's always a good time for uh, for folks to interact and and just have those uh, face face to face conversations versus some of the things that uh, we've been trying to do just to keep business moving. So it's it's going to be a it's going to be a great time for people to uh, to do just that and and get those uh, relationships rekindled in person.
0: We look forward to seeing you this week, Doug, at the Iowa State Fairgrounds again, World Pork Expo this Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. See you soon, Doug. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. Yep. See you soon. Bye. Take care. Yep. And again, I'll be broadcasting from the World Pork Expo. Wednesday and Thursday of this week uh, a lot of important issues to discuss uh, you know African swine fever as we look globally is still a big issue keeping it out of the United States continues to be a priority uh, we'll be talking about uh, the issue with line speeds at packing plants that of course is a huge issue Cybersecurity, with what's happened to uh, Uh, with the pipeline in the southeast and then jbs uh, those will be huge topics uh, to discuss as well so we'll be uh, talking with folks from the pork industry this week wednesday and thursday at world pork expo in des moines thanks for joining us today tomorrow by the way we'll be talking with the president of the texas farm bureau farm bureaus are asking for the federal government to take action on the border situation. This border issue is a, is a is a very real issue for especially those living on the border, doing business on the border, farmers, ranchers. It's a crisis in many areas, and we're going to talk about that coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.